You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. We are here to discuss Swingers, which came out in 1996 and was directed by Doug Lyman. In the city of Los Angeles, where everyone is a player. What do you guys do? Oh, I'm a producer. Mike can't even get a seat on the bench. Where do I know you from? You ever been to the Ha Ha Hole on, a, on Pico? Oh, you're, you're a comedian. It's a, you know, it's a dream, you know, it's a lot of hard work and travel. I know where it is. Starbucks. He came in and, and asked me for an application. But now his closest friends are getting him back into the swing of things. Vegas, baby, Vegas! happens to be a $100 minimum bet table. Perhaps you'd be more comfortable at one of our lower stakes tables. How you ladies doing this evening? What do you drive? Uh, Cavalier. <laughs> Miramax presents the film that had an entire country on its feet. You know what, big boy? You're grown up! Swingers, a movie that defined a generation. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Anyway, I didn't think I was uh, weird or desperate. Hello? Mike, don't ever call me again. Swingers. Wow! Get a nightlife. It stars John Favreau, Vince Vaughn, Ron Livingston, Patrick Van Horn, Alex Dessert, and Heather Graham. The genre would be relationship comedy. Happy 25th anniversary to a film which I did not love first seeing it in theaters. I remember this because I was one of only two people in theater at the time. I thought it was an okay, entertaining watch. And for perspective, I felt the same way initially seeing Reservoir Dogs as well, which came out a few years prior. Now, on first impression, swingers might come off as fluff, or even more pointedly, as feel-good fluff for old-school guys who long for the days when you could pick up an attractive casino waitress by slyly demeaning her when you order your drink. Listen, um, bring a single malted uh, Glengarry for me and one for my boy Mikey here. And if you tell the bartender to go easy on the water, then this 50-cent piece has your name written all over it. Okay. I want you to run along because I'll be timing you. I'm going to keep time. One, two, three, four. What an asshole. That brings me to the two biggest criticisms leveled at this film, despite its enduring cult status. Number one, it's misogynistic in how it's all told from the straight male perspective and how much of the focus is on the pursuit of women. And number two, it's just fluffy nostalgia porn for a short period of time during the mid-90s, rife with faux swing music and clothes, along with no shortage of cigar aficionado douchiness being exhibited by folks in their 20s. However, watching this again and again and again on video, DVD, Blu-ray, and streaming dozens of times since then, I now consider this film one of my personal favorites, and I can confidently dispense with both of these criticisms. So let's start with criticism number one. Yes, it's told from the straight male perspective, as it is, of course, written and directed by two straight men, Favreau and Lyman. Yes, various women are the targets of our main protagonist, Mikey, as he's trying to meet women around L.A. But here's the thing. Mikey, as endearingly played by John Favreau, he's a generally good dude. He's just lonely. He's still finding his way after living in a new place for six months. And he's trying to get over his first love, who he left in New York. His quest to find companionship, and really himself, is a universal one. And not only that, but his stumbles are relatable, too. That awkward scene. 
You know the scene, when he keeps calling Nikki's answering machine at 2 a.m., a girl whose number he just got a couple hours prior, and he's leaving message after message after message, just continuously digging a bigger hole for himself. Wow, it's just a masterclass in cringe comedy. It's funny and sad and pathetic and, yes, relatable. We all have moments in our lives when we want something, we don't know how to attain it, and we just go way too far to try to get it. And Favs, as Favreau was also known in Hollywood circles, he plays this scene perfectly. Now, keep in mind that at the time, this was a struggling actor playing a struggling actor who's constantly getting rejected, pulling for more rejection almost out of compulsion, as this scene demonstrates. It's not just a meta-commentary on rejection. It feels almost too real to not laugh at nervously. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Hi, uh, Nikki, this is Mike again. I, I just called because it sounded like your, your machine might have cut me off when I, when I, uh, before I finished leaving my number. Anyway, uh, and, you know, and also, um, sorry to call so late, but you were still at the Dresden when I left, so I knew I'd get your machine. Anyhow, uh, uh, my number is 21... Two one three five 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 four six seven nine. That's it. Just want to leave my number. Anyway, I think I was uh, weird or desperate. We should just uh, hang out and uh, see where it goes, because it's nice and uh, you know expectations. So, okay. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. And that brings me to criticism number two. Okay, granted, rewatching this most recently, seeing literally every other spoken part seeming to have a big honking Ashton or Padron cigar in their mouth, no matter the setting, it is quite distractingly funny at times. I'll grant you. I mean, you have one scene where you have a few dudes lounging around playing Hockey 93 on the Sega Genesis in some cramped apartment, and half of them with stogies in their mouths. Why? I don't know. It's just the time. I get this criticism, and of course, the slang as well. Beautiful babies, gonna pull me a Fredo. Mikey's the big winner. It's of a time for sure. You're either with it or it pulls you out of the movie. But it doesn't obscure these characters. It enhances them. Especially Trent, played by Vince Vaughn, in what is definitely this film's most memorable performance. The best thing you can do is just get back out there. It's just, I, I'm not attracted to them. I keep thinking of my girlfriend. And, and then I'm trying to, like, maintain a conversation with them. Oh, Mike, do you even think I know what the hell they're saying to me half the time? I don't know if they're talking about how hard it is to be adopted or how their dad can't show them affection. All I do, man, is stare at their mouth and wrinkle my eyebrows, and somehow I turn out to be a big sweetie, okay? I take this girl here, right? She's a waitress in Las Vegas, okay? But I bet somewhere inside of her there is a very, very special dream. And no matter how hard I try, I won't... Hey, there she is, the most special lady in town, right? Vaughn just devours every line of dialogue with abandon. He's fun to watch, and he just comes off as a walking tornado of hipster swagger. And for most of the runtime of this film, you almost want to look and talk just like him. He's just that cool. Along the lines of, say, James Dean in 55 or Travolta in 77. He seems like a snapshot in time, just like those guys, in a way which would seemingly date this movie in the worst possible way. However. Over the last 10 minutes of this movie, his character is fully deconstructed. And not in some dramatic movie fall from grace way. We don't see Trent getting hooked on drugs or getting arrested. Nothing that direct or dark. 
After all, Lyman and Favreau were giving us a comedy, and they wanted to keep the tone light. Nope, what we mainly witness is Trent's allure as the big man about town who every character aspires to, especially Mikey. It just starts to fizzle, and it starts to fizzle mainly in relation to Mikey, no less. Favreau's protagonist comes into his own during the last few scenes of Swingers as we watch him charm and connect with Heather Graham's Lorraine by basically just being himself. The best version of himself, but still an honest version nonetheless. Hey, sure, it's cliche, but it still rings true 25 years later. And we especially see it in that, spoiler alert, final scene of him sitting at the Best Western booth opposite Trent, seemingly about to summarize what he has learned about himself, how he has now moved on from his ex-girlfriend in New York, and likely in the most cliched manner possible, before he's interrupted by Vaughn's Trent showboating once again. You know, man, I didn't understand it either. It's all so hard. Then it hit me on the way over here, you know, like a ton of bricks. It's just so simple. When you do, dude, wait a second. I'm getting vibed like in a really weird way here. This girl's looking at me like she knows me a little bit. You don't recognize her? I don't know, I could have been out with Sue one night drinking and told her I was a race car driver or something. I think I would remember this girl. I don't think I've ever met her before. I would definitely remember this one. She's got a lot of confidence, man. She's doing like, wow. Mike, stop, 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 all right? Just stop. She's playing a little game like a fun thing with me. Come on, you little party girl. That's it. Come on. Fun little games. You want to play fun little games? Come on, you nasty little cute little baby. What are you doing? Trent's trying to show that he's still the man, and he starts to just fall all over himself, attempting to flirt back at this woman visually while Mikey looks at him all confused. And then, of course, we find out what Trent was actually looking at as we see this woman leave the diner with her baby who she was just cooing at the whole time. Trent sinks into his seat, Mikey has a gratified look on his face, and Bobby Darren's cover of I'm Beginning to See the Light starts to kick in, and the end. We just spent the previous 93 minutes watching these two friends trade places, and were thoroughly entertained the whole way there. Swingers still holds up. And that brings me to the categories. And the first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Now, this is just a great soundtrack, loaded with memorable lounge music standards, which all fit their scenes perfectly, from legends including Tony Bennett, the aforementioned Bobby Darin. Beyond that, you have the live stuff performed in scene by the likes of Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, who were big at the time, and of course, the legendary L.A. duo, Marty and Elaine. You can tell by the way I use my walk, I'm a woman's man, no time to talk. And of course, you have some great 70s funk from the likes of the Commodores and King Floyd. It's honestly tough to choose one that stands out among the Sterling group until you, of course, remember that iconic scene about halfway through, aping or providing an homage of another iconic scene from just a few years prior. Funny how I mentioned Reservoir Dogs right alongside this just earlier, right? Well, that was likely a subconscious accident because these two films will always be linked thanks to this scene. We watch our five main gentlemen, including Trent and Mikey, about to start their evening sitting at a round table at the Best Western. Seems to be where they always end up. The camera pans around each of their faces as they discuss movies, including Reservoir Dogs, and how current movies steal stuff from older films. 
And this circular shot of them talking is a direct homage to the opening scene of, you guessed it, Reservoir Dogs. And what immediately follows this conversation is the camera following them in slow motion, walking through the alley, then a long shot of all five of them walking slow-mo alongside each other. I would guess attempting to look cool in an homage to the opening credits scene of, guess which movie, Reservoir Dogs. Yes, it's meta and silly, but honestly, what still makes this whole sequence work decades later is the song that we hear playing over it, which would be Picking Up the Pieces from the Scottish 70s funk and R&B band Average White Band. Now, this is mainly an instrumental song featuring part of their huge collective of guitars and brass getting funky. Why does this song work so well for this scene? Well, not only is it catchy, but it's also kind of silly. It's exactly the kind of song you could picture hearing in the background, watching five out-of-work actors strutting outside to, trying to appear cool, even though they're technically not. And that's pretty much the theme of this movie in a nutshell. Next category is Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Wasted Talent. No. Nobody is wasted in the making of this film. Hell, it was a small $250,000 movie, mainly filmed on the flyer on LA and Vegas, and it looks way better than it has any right to. And that brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, there is no shortage of standout moments in this film. Most of them entirely dialogue-driven, truly capitalizing on the chemistry among this cast, especially, of course, between Favreau and Vaughn. If I wanted to make this broader, I could probably just include the entire sequence, which takes place at the Dresden Bar. This sequence features pretty much all the major players for this movie, including Mikey, Trent, Rob, played winningly by Ron Livingston, Charles, played in perfect deadpan fashion by Alex Dessert. We're going to uh, we're going to this party in the hills. Some modeling agency, I don't know, whatever. Beautiful babies, you want to come with? Yeah, why not? Place is dead anyway. And the impetuous Sue, played hysterically by Patrick Van Horn, sporting side bangs that to this day I still can't quite understand. We're talking about 20 plus minutes of runtime here, so if I actually had to choose the highlight, it would be watching our five main players just sitting down together in a booth right after Mikey bravely walked over to Nikki, played by the lovely Brooke Langdon, to get her number. And he returns back to the table with said number on a piece of paper. And what follows is some absurdly detailed advice from Trent and Sue on when to call her, how many days he should wait, along with priceless reactions from Rob and Charles. And the rare moment in this film when Mikey himself is allowed to be a bit biting and funny, it's at this moment when Mikey is just starting to kind of see through the bullshit which Trent has been selling him about how to land a woman. And it kind of sums up the rest of the film rather perfectly. So how long do I wait to call? About a day. Tomorrow. Mm -mm. Tomorrow, then a day. Yeah. So two days. Yeah, I guess you could call it that. Definitely. Two days. Two days is like industry standard. 
No, I used to wait two days to call anybody, but now it's like everyone in town waits two days. So I think three days is kind of money. What do you think? Yeah, well, but, but two's enough not to look anxious. Yeah, two's enough not to look anxious, but I think three days is kind of money. Yeah, you know, but you know you, what? You... Maybe I'll wait three weeks. How's that? And tell her I was cleaning out my wallet and I just happened to run into her number. <laughs> then ask her where you met her. Yeah, I'll ask her where I met her. I don't remember. What does she look like? And then I'll ask if we fucked. Is that, would that be <laughs> T? Would that be the money? That brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. The alchemy which director Doug Lyman pulled off with such a limited budget and resources for this film remains truly impressive. I mean, seriously, many of the party and bar scenes were just shot guerrilla style amidst real life without anyone else around really knowing what was going on. And he's gone on to direct several other strong films since then, which show that this was no fluke, including Go, The Born Identity, and Edge of Tomorrow. But this is not really his movie at the end of the day. This film's success mostly belongs to John Favreau and Vince Vaughn as your co-MVPs. I'm tempted to give it to Just Favs, since beyond starring in this as a very likable, relatable protagonist, it was also Favreau who not only wrote Swingers, but really shepherded the film into production. This was his personal project from the get-go. Both Lyman and Favreau turned out to be hugely successful filmmakers afterwards, as Favs would eventually go on to direct Elf a few years later, and a few years after that, the first Iron Man movie, which, in case you forgot, ended up spawning a somewhat successful film franchise. Oh, and he also just happens to currently shepherd the only thing which all Star Wars fans nowadays can actually agree to liking, the Disney Plus streaming show The Mandalorian. But as instrumental as Favreau was to this film, you cannot undersell how special a performance Vaughn gives, Vince Vaughn gives as the T-Man. His character is by far the most memorable one, and likely the most quoted from Swingers. I mean, you rewind back to 96, watching this for the first time, and the first thing that I know came to my mind, and most others, reading other reviews afterwards, was, wow, that Vince Vaughn is going to be a major star. It's a star-making performance, as he just owns the screen whenever he's on. Of course, we're rooting for Mikey, but we still can't take our eyes off of Trent. Their chemistry is also undeniable, and bottom line, you need both of these guys to really make this film work. Don't you want me like a big bear with, with, with claws and with fangs, like man? Like fucking teeth, yeah, man. Yeah, fucking teeth on you. She's just like this little bunny who's just kind of cowering in the corner. Shivering. Yeah, man, just kind of, you, you know, you got these claws and you're staring at these claws, man, and you're thinking to yourself with these claws, you're thinking, man, how am I supposed to kill this bunny? And you're how poking am I supposed at it, man. You're poking bunny? at Yeah, you're not hurting it. You're just kind of gently batting the bunny around. You know what I mean? And the bunny's scared, Mike. The bunny's scared of you. And you got shivering. these fucking claws and these fangs, fucking claws and these fangs, man. And you're looking at your claws and you're looking at your fangs. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know how to kill the bunny. With this, you don't know how to kill the bunny. Do you know what I mean? You're like a big bear, man. My rating for Swingers would be five stars out of five. Now, is this a perfect movie? Well, for what it sets out to achieve, I would say yes, which is why it earns that score. What this whole film adds up to is about seven or eight extended scenes featuring about eight characters. Not much of consequence happens, nor much that is particularly dramatic. But we get to know a few of these guys pretty intimately. We enjoy hanging out with them. We get a nice feel for the specific time and place which they are inhabiting, which would be mid-90s LA, mostly the Los Feliz area. And most importantly, we leave feeling pretty good about where they end up. Now, at the end of the day, what else could you want from a movie? And if you're looking for Swingers, it's currently streaming on HBO Max. And that ends another money review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. 
Follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.